Okay, good evening everyone and welcome to the August 2023 meeting of the San Francisco Animal Commission. My name is Michael Angelo Torres and I'm your commission chairperson. We are holding our meeting at City Hall tonight. Members of the public are invited to attend our meetings in person or remotely. For those of you who are interested in how our commission works or serving on this commission, please access our website at sf.gov forward slash animal commission. Agendas, minutes, and any supporting documents, as well as videos of our past meetings can also be found on our website. Videos of this evening's meeting will be available on our website by tomorrow afternoon. Additional information about the commission, including links to our social media accounts, can be found on our website's About Us page. And if anyone has any questions concerning our commission, please feel free to contact me at michaelangelo.torres at sfdph.org. Members of the public who wish to provide a comment during our meeting can call 415-655-0003 and use access code 2633-156-1613. Then when prompted for webinar ID or password, please enter 1111. After receiving access, please hit star three on your phone, which will raise your hand to be called for public comment. When it is your turn to speak, you may be prompted to hit star six to unmute yourself Otherwise, we will unmute you from our dashboard. Please make your comments in accordance with the agenda. Commissioner Tobin, can you please take roll? Yes. When I call your name, say if you're present. Michael Angelo Torres. Present. Irina Ozenoy. Present. Jane Tobin, present. Lisa Pugandes. Present. Michaela Garfinkel. Present. Michael Reed. Present. Dr. Brian Van Horn. Present. Deputy Director Amy Corso will be here a bit later. Um, Christopher Campbell, Dr. George Hahn, and Officer Greg Sutherland, two service advisors, are not here this meeting. Okay, great. Thank you. Okay, so moving on to general public comment. At this time, members of the public may address the commission with comments on items within the commission's jurisdiction other than items on the agenda. Please note that the cruelty at live mark animal markets and reporting from animal care and control agenda items have their own public comment periods. So please wait for those public comment periods if you wish to make a comment on either of those agenda items. Members of the public intending in person have the opportunity to provide public comment on every business item. In addition to in-person public comment, the commission will hear up to 20 minutes of remote public comment on each business item. The commission will hear remote public comment in the order that comments, commenters, excuse me, add themselves to the speaker's queue to comment on the item. Please be aware that because of the 20 minute time limit, it is possible that not every person in the speaker's queue will have an opportunity to provide public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a remote public comment should hit star three on their phone to be added to the speaker's queue. Hitting star three will show your hand raised on our dashboard, which lets us know that you wish to make a comment. Please hit star three only once. Hitting star three a second time will cause your hand to be lowered and we will have no way of knowing that you wish to make a comment. When it is your turn to speak, you may be prompted by the system to hit star six in order to meet yourself. If you are not prompted, we will unmute you from our dashboard. You will then have two minutes to make a comment. Please be aware that after your two minutes have passed, your phone line will be muted and we will go on to the next caller. Please be aware that if we have a large number of people wishing to provide in-person public comment, we may adjust the time allowed per comment to only one minute. This is done for timing purposes and to allow as many people as possible to easily provide comments. If there is a need to make this change, it will be announced before the speaker and there is no need to make that change for this meeting. So do we have anyone attending who wishes to make a public comment? Okay, you can come up to the mic, please. Thank you. 
evening, commissioners. It's good to see you again. Um, I just wanted to make mention um, one thing. We've talked about firecrackers, and I hope that that can get on the agenda down the line. Um, we all are familiar with that bombing event at uh, the Valencia the Petrero Hill. I'm, excuse me, the um, dog park over there on Dolores Street. And um, I, I, there were a lot of firecrackers that were thrown to the police, and we know that firecrackers are very deadly, not only to people, people end up with being coming deaf, but also a lot of animals bolt and get end up in the street and get hit by cars. So um, the latest I heard is that our district attorney, Brooke Jenkins, is going to prosecute mainly for the vandal vandalism, or she's hoping to. So I encourage everyone to, um, you know, thank the Mission Police Station for arresting for, you know, stopping the use of firecrackers and throwing them at the police and scaring animals, and also um, to prosecute for them throwing um, uh, not only everything else at the police, but for um, vandalizing muni streetcars. And if she does that, if she's prosecuting for vandalism, these same people are the ones that threw the firecrackers. So that would help as well. So I just wanted to every, tell everyone if they could support Rook Jenkins. Thank you so much for your comment. Okay, seeing no other in-person public comment, we will open it up to remote attendees. Okay, at this time I see one speaker in the queue. Caller, you've been unmuted and you can begin your public comment, please. So my comments are concerning the horse riding concession in Golden Gate Park and Camp Mather. I would like to know why the Animal Welfare Commission is not more involved in city contracting per and permitting of these live animals used for recreation and entertainment in the parks. Why has San Francisco Parks renewed a permit for what was supposed to be a six month pilot program for four years without any public review or consultation with this commission or the Board of Supervisors? Over the past four years, it has appeared the city lacks legal ordinance and the operational capability to ensure the welfare of the horses. Neither parks, SFACC, SFSPCA, or the Animal Commission have substantial specialized expertise to provide appropriate oversight over a large for-profit equestrian business. Before continuing to renew this permit, this gap should be analyzed and addressed. We would not allow food vendors to sell food in the parks without oversight over public health and safety. The city has no documented criteria or metrics for ensuring public safety at this operation, such as monitoring and reporting of accidents and incidents and injuries, which have been reported by several people on the behalf of both employees and customers at this concession. I would ask the commission to please consider adding parks equestrian concession to an upcoming agenda in order so that they can renew the permit agreements and re review the incident reports to date so that the commission can serve its purpose on advising on animal welfare and in this case, oversight and recommendations appear to be sorely needed. 
Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Okay, seeing no other callers, we can close public comments. And moving on to approval of draft minutes from July 2023 meeting. The draft minutes document for our July meeting was distributed to commissioners earlier this week, and I believe everyone has had a chance to review them. Are there any questions, comments, or corrections to the draft minutes before voting? Okay, seeing none, um, when I call your name, please state yes if you're in favor of approving the minutes or no if you are not in favor. Uh, Commissioner uh, Fragandes? Yes. Commissioner Garfinkel? Yes. Commissioner Ozunai? Yes. Commissioner Reed? Yes. Commissioner Tobin? Yes. And I'm Commissioner Van Horn. Yes. Thank you. Uh, the July meeting minutes are approved. Okay, moving on to chairpersons and commissioner reports. Commissioner's reports regarding recent activities in the community involving animal issues that have been discussed by the commission in the past. Um, are there any reports to share? Uh, any reports from commissioners either concerning um, past uh, actions or past issues or anything upcoming? It's fine to talk about. Yes, Commissioner, Commissioner Garfinkel, please. Um, well, I hope that everyone can attend the November 9th meeting because we will be having a guest speaker from Raptors Are the Solution. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar, they are a great organization that is really tackling down on second journey, second generation anticoagulants for denicides. I think I totally butchered that, but pretend I didn't. Um, and uh, obviously they're really detrimental to the environment and not only cause a lot of suffering to the target animals, but also have really bad effects on non-target wildlife. So um, we will be having a presentation on a pilot program that they ran in Seattle that used contraceptives, specifically tar targeting rats as opposed to poison. So uh, I'm excited to see what we can get and some actual insights to hopefully um, make this just like a good action moving forward. Great, thank you. I'm looking forward to that. Um, any other reports or questions from the commissioners? I have one quick question. Could you yes, repeat the name Tobin? of the Raptors organization? Yes, it's Raptors Are the Solution, uh, also known as RATS. Okay, thank you. And they're based in Berkeley, California. Okay, great. Any other questions or comments or um, reports? Okay, uh, seeing none, let's move on to uh, new business. Okay, uh, cruelty at live animal markets. Uh, Scott David, Director of Investigations, and Jared Gleckel, Legal Counsel from Animal Outlook, will present on their investigative work uh, involving live animal markets in San Francisco. Um, I want to thank um, both um, Jarob and Scott for being here tonight with us and for their patience. Um, this is actually one of our first uh, presentations that we're having uh, remotely, meaning that the presenters are, are um, presenting remotely um, since we moved into um, City Hall with our new technology and stuff. So I appreciate their help practicing with me. But I'm also announcing that as well so that people are aware um, if there are any technical difficulties, hopefully there aren't. But, um, you know, to please send me a message or let me know because um, we will look at it to make sure we don't have a repeat of the same problems. Okay, so, um, so Scott and um, Jared, you're, um, you can start when you're ready. Thank you. Yes. Is there a deck? Is there a presentation? Um, he's going to start right now. Yeah. 
People can see this, right? I apologize. We can see it on from the attendees can. Um, it's not there. Uh, oh. uh, we can see it here. You're you're doing fine. It's more like a, a thing here as well. Um, can you push that from? Are you able to get it in full screen, Scott? Oh, is it not? Yeah, not in full. Not on my end. Hmm. Uh, we're just not able to see it here, so let me work on something real fast. Is it in presenter view for you, Jerry, or just the normal? Just the regular view for me, how I'm seeing it. Oh. Well then, um, what about this? Does that look different? No. Something's happening. Yeah, but I just it's just not happening what I want it to do. There it is. Yeah. Okay, so we're fine from our end, but yeah, as um, Jared was saying, we do need uh, to expand the screen. Uh, oh, interesting. It is. Because what it's showing right now is it's showing um, you're like at seventy percent, but um, it's also showing um, the the individual slides to the side. So you just, I guess, got to make it full screen. Oh, interesting. It is full screen on my screen. <laughs> Okay, otherwise maybe just enlarge it a little bit. Otherwise we can, this is fine. We'll, we'll, we'll manage with it. It just, it would be a um, I can better try. if we could do it a little bit bigger, but otherwise we're fine. Okay, I think that's better. Right, does that look better? Yeah. Can you guys see it over there? Somewhere? If you click hide side, it probably. What's the problem? If you click hide side, or, oh, oh no, never mind. It says slide, ignore me. If you want, I could try to share one more time. Are you in presenter view? You want me to see if I get some better luck on my side? Uh, yeah, I'll let Jared try. Okay. Let me move the presenter ball to to Jared. Oh, actually, it's already with Jared. You guys already. Is that okay, everybody? Yeah, perfect. Oh, awesome. Okay. okay. We're off to, <laughs> we're off, we're off to a good start. I, uh, I apologize. There's a torrential downpour by me, so I was afraid I would not be able to share these slides. But, um, no problem. Thank you so much. No, thank you all for your patience. For your patience. <laughs> all right. Um, well, thank you all so much for inviting us. Um, we are very grateful to the commission and uh, we're grateful to Michael in particular for having us. And also I think goes without saying for all the work that the commission is doing. And I know that Ms. Corso isn't here yet, but also for all the work that ACC is doing in, in San Francisco. Um, it's very exciting to us as an animal protection organization. Um, so we are very excited to be here. Um, my name is Jarob, as Michael said. Um, I'm a staff attorney at Animal Outlook. And I'm here with Scott, who's our director of investigations. Um, he is too humble to give himself a proper introduction, so I'll do a little bit of my best. Um, he worked in the field as an investigator for a lot of years. Um, he's been featured in the New York Times and other major news outlets, documentaries, et cetera. So I'm glad you'll all be able to hear him talk today and not just be stuck listening to me. Um, we are here to discuss animal cruelty in live animal markets. Um, 
I know that live markets are a complicated issue. Um, there are a lot of moving pieces. There's disease, there's pathogens. Um, we are streamlining our talk today because the commission addresses animal welfare issues and animal cruelty issues. Um, and we wanna to try to offer some practical solutions from an animal cruelty angle. Um, ultimately, we would love for our organization to be able to be you know, a good resource, both for the commission and for ACC. Um, but we are not just here to present. We are very open to feedback. I would love to open a dialogue to tell you about our experience with the live markets and with ACC, and then to hear, you know, what kind of support that you need, concerns you have about our proposals, you know, in practice, um, and how we can work with you and be the most effective. Um, with that being said, um, before we get to the live markets, Michael has asked us to take a couple of minutes and just tell you about Animal Outlook as an organization. Um, so we'll go ahead and do that, and then we'll transition over to live markets. And um, if nothing else, hopefully you like our cartoons. Um, all right. Does everybody see the slides switch that's all working? Yes. Awesome. Okay. Um, so if you don't know what Animal Outlook is, it's, it's possible you actually have heard of us. We were formerly known as Compassion Over Killing. We've been around for about 25 years, and our, our focus is on protecting farmed animals, so animals that are raised and slaughtered for food. Um, we are a national, oh, see, I told you Scott was in the New York Times, there you go. Um, I wasn't lying. Uh, so we are a national organization, um, but we do a lot of work in California in particular. Cheryl Leahy, our executive director, is based in California, as is Scott, um, who, as I've said, is our director of investigations. Um, and we've done a lot of different work in California. Um, the most famous, I guess, work we've done in California, the one that maybe people have heard of, is National Pork Producers Council versus Ross, which was the defense of Prop 12 that was recently heard in front of the Supreme Court, um, and that we had a major victory in upholding Prop 12. So we were one of a bunch of organizations that were what you call defendant interveners in the case, um, which means that because we were involved with the legislation, we intervened and we helped the state of California to defend that law. Um, I'm sure that most people are familiar with Prop 12, uh, especially because the commission supported Prop 12 and its enforcement. So thank you very much for that. Um, but Prop 12 was effectively a law that says you can't sell pork in California if the mother pigs are confined in gestation crates, which are these tiny crates where they can't turn around, they can't move. Um, California enacted this law that banned the sale of, of that kind of product. And pork producers sued the state of California and said, um, you can't regulate what we're doing outside of California. And the Supreme Court said, that's not what's happening. California is just upholding animal cruelty laws in the state. Um, and I've gone into that in a little more detail than I normally would, because I just want to emphasize how important I think it is what, what's happening at a state level in California, and even at, especially at a more local level in cities like San Francisco, um, because those laws are really the laws that get the most traction and are able to bring the most protections for animals. Um, the reason for this is that federal laws are really, really, really um, there are, so let me put it this way, I, I guess the major law protecting animals that on a federal level that most people have heard of is the Animal Welfare Act. Um, that law, that statute does not apply to farmed animals at all. 
Um, there's really only two federal laws that do apply to protect farmed animals and have been written to protect farmed animals, I should say. Um, there's the Humane Methods of Slaughter Act, which I could talk about for a long time and won't go down that rabbit hole. Um, and then there's the 28-hour law. And I'll just bring that one up as an example because um, I think it's a very clean example. What the 28-hour law says is you can't transport animals for more than 28 hours. Another way of saying that is that you can transport them for 27 hours, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. You can have these animals stacked in a truck for 27 hours and under federal law. That's perfectly okay. Um, that's why state laws are so important because the federal laws are not doing enough. Um, so Prop 12 was a big victory because it shows that states um, can pass these laws, that cities like San Francisco can pass more laws and engage in more enforcement actions above and beyond what the federal government is doing, and that that's where the action has to come from. Um, and I guess as an interlocutory kind of a pitch here, I will plug um, and just say that uh, the EATS Act um, is currently sitting before Congress, and it is one of the most important things that people can do is, is actually call your representatives and say that you oppose the EATS Act because it would wipe out a lot of these state level protections like Prop 12. Um, and be clear that you're talking about the EATS Act, the Agricultural EATS Act, not the EATS Act about SNAP benefits, because there are two by the same name. Um, all right, circling back to what we do in California, we do some work with the local law schools and universities. Um, we supervise animal law programs through Berkeley Law School, um, and we're involved in general with a lot of the law schools in California. Um, and the other work we do in California is investigations-based, so I will turn it over to Scott to talk more about that. Yeah, uh, thank you, Jared. And yeah, we have done a number of investigations in California. Uh, one was Superior Farms, which uh, you can see a, a picture of the New York Times story uh, that came out of that one. Uh, that was a lamb slaughterhouse that I investigated uh, all the way back in, I believe, 2016, uh, up near West Sacramento. Uh, and among some of the things we found uh, were lambs actually uh, continuing to react to stimuli, uh, having their tails cut off uh, after they had already been stunned and had their throats uh, cut open uh, sort of after they were already supposed to be dead. Uh, we also did a dairy uh, investigation, uh, Dick Van Dam, a few years after that. I believe that's in the San Jacinto area, uh, where, among other things, we see young people hitting cows with with wooden rods uh, twisting their tails on uh, one cow even uh, lifted over uh, over a wall uh, with a clamp uh, attached to her uh, by a tractor uh, so yeah we have a long history of working in california uh, jerob also mentioned the 28-hour law we did an investigation uh, into that as well where we followed a truck all the way from nebraska uh, which actually ended up in uh, in California, I believe like 32 hours uh, later without letting the animals uh, off for any rest or water or anything like that. Uh, so yeah, we do quite a bit of work in the state. Okay, um, as for sort of what we do in general uh, as an organization, uh, there are a few, I think, main categories. One, which I just sort of talked about, right, is uh, our investigations department, uh, which I had along with our deputy director of uh, investigations. And yeah, I'll talk about that a little bit later. We also do quite a bit of outreach, uh, just 
you know, talking to people in the community, uh, distributing literature, uh, and also creating content uh, for people to uh, you know, view and hopefully you know, be taught about the realities of how farm animals are treated. Uh, we have an amazing legal team, of uh, which Jareb is part of. Uh, I, you know, I'm always very grateful because part of their job uh, is to keep the investigators safe, uh, which they do very well. Uh, they also do a lot of other things, which I'll let Jareb talk about. And we also have a farm transitions program, which helps farmers actually move away from raising animals uh, and towards uh, growing plants instead. So yeah, as for our undercover investigations, uh, we actually do a lot of different kinds of investigations, but this are sort of the one we put uh, maybe the most time and effort into are our employment-based investigations where we actually go into farms and slaughterhouses and actually work uh, in those places, particularly for, uh, well, uh, often for long periods of time, uh, like months. And we do this so that we can actually show the reality of the cruelty that is happening and the standard practices uh, that are occurring uh, on a day-to-day -day basis at these facilities. Uh, so there are, I think, a lot of like pieces of misinformation uh, that are floated uh, by the industry, you know, commercials and, and murals with happy animals uh, in fields where really the, the reality could not be sort of further from that. Uh, there are a lot of standard practices in particular that people don't know about uh, that we like to be able to teach people about during our investigations. You know, things like, uh, like plastic rods being shoved through uh, the nostrils of birds, of chickens, uh, to stop them from eating as much as they want. Uh, cutting out the testicles of uh, male piglets, or you know, pressing hot irons into the heads of calves in order to uh, burn out their uh, their horn tissue. Uh, most of this stuff is done without any sort of anesthetic, uh, and a lot of it is very surprising to people uh, when we are able to to show that to them. So yeah, that is I think sort of the primary focus of our investigations team. So I won't talk too much about our legal work, except to say that we cover a lot of different areas of law. Um, people think of animal law as being a very niche area, which it is, but it covers a lot of different fields, mostly because of what I ranted about a little bit earlier, which is that there are not really enough laws on the books protecting animals in and of themselves. So we do a lot of consumer protection lawsuits, things like that. Um, on the criminal side, we also look for, for prosecutions mostly against corporations and, and owners of facilities. Um, so our most recent investigation into a facility that raised chickens for Tyson for seven years um, revealed a lot of what Scott was talking about before. So for example, it revealed footage of a Tyson employee saying free range, like, you know, those birds don't go outside. That's just for commercial purposes. And um, I would encourage everyone to take a look at the Vox article about that investigation, because it's really pretty tremendous that, you know, this employee was just right there on camera saying, we're not going to do extra stuff because we don't have competition in the area. And, um, you know, and free range, like, you know, those aren't broiler birds that are in our commercials. Um, so a lot of very candid statements that the investigation was able to catch on camera. Um, and we were able to secure 17 counts of criminal charges from that investigation. And I think the most important thing 
that I like to point out is that those charges are against the owner of the facility and the manager of the facility. And I think the reason that can be so important is because it shows that the cruelty is really systemic. It's not just, you know, one bad apple lower level worker who's kicking an animal or doing something horrible. It's it's really inherent in the practices and the conditions of those facilities. Um, and these criminal laws are some of the laws that are on the books that really do are out there to protect animals. Um, and that includes the laws that we're going to talk about later, which apply in California and, and to the live animal markets. Um, I'm just going to touch briefly on our farm transitions program, just because I think it's so cool and very unique. Um, Scott and I are not super involved with the farm transition side, um, so I'll be brief. But yeah, it's been in the works for many years. And over the last few years, it's, it's really picked up. It's run by farmers. And um, we have a couple of clients who are transitioning over to plant-based farming, which you know, from our end at least is very, very exciting. Um, I think that's all I wanted to say about Animal Outlook. Um, does anybody have any you know questions about us generally or the kind of work that we do before we get into talking about the live animal markets in, in particular? Well, I just had really one question. Are you really talking mostly about factory farms or and are there are there smaller farms that actually do better job at this? Scott, you want to talk about it or you want me to talk about it? <laughs> sure, I can talk about it. Um, well, we as an organization are, uh, I think, in general, are in principle uh, against the commodification uh, of animals. Um, I will say that we like to, uh, well, we like it when we can do investigations uh, on companies that are, you know, sort of like larger, more well-known, uh, simply because, you know, it gets more like media attention uh, and, you know, uh, they're, they can be sort of like household names, right, that people can really sort of identify with. Um, I would say that for smaller farms, right, whether they, or even if they, you know, do not have all of the uh, you know, horrible cruelties that you might see in other larger places, they are still going to have largely the same sort of standard practices, right? So all of the mutilations uh, of animals that are done without anesthetic uh, that I mentioned are likely also going to be there uh, at smaller farms. Uh, and then also, you know, the uh, animals are still going to be, right, like sent to slaughter uh, at just a fraction uh, of their like possible lifespan, right? I think you know chickens are sent to slaughter after something like six weeks or something like that. Uh, pigs maybe after six months. Uh, so yeah, you're still going to to get a lot of the same behaviors, I think, uh, in these sort of smaller facilities. Yeah, I guess um, the Bravo packing is probably a good example of that. So we recently um, had criminal charges, or actually a conviction against the owner of Bravo packing, which is a slaughterhouse in New Jersey. Um, and they advertise very much as being, you know, small family owned. Um, and usually, I mean, at least when I hear small family owned, I, I equate that with you know, not a horrible, huge corporation, but in some cases, like we saw with Bravo packing, right? There was uh, the, the footage from that investigation is I think some of the most horrifying that I've seen and that's saying something. Um, and yeah, I mean, practices where they would leave horses to starve for three or four days chained up in a little cement room because it made the horse meat leaner, um, you know, pretty horrible practices like that, that again are not. So 
yes, the, the short answer is the bigger the corporation, the better. That is what we're generally targeting, but we have seen very horrible acts out of a lot of these smaller facilities also. Any other questions from the commissioners? Okay, seeing none, yeah, thank you for the opportunity to ask questions. You can uh, continue. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, I'll go ahead and talk about uh, our experience at live markets in the San Francisco, San Francisco area. Uh, first off, I would just sort of like to define uh, live markets really quickly. Uh, so by live markets, what we're talking about is uh, places where animals are kept, uh, who are alive, and are upon customer purchase are uh, in most cases uh, then butchered uh, right at the shop. Uh, so these can be either you know wild caught animals or farmed. Uh, we don't really make the distinction here. Uh, and there can be a huge variety of animals uh, who are in these sorts of establishments. Uh, you can have you know ones that are that specialize in poultry. Uh, it's a little hard to see in in this picture, but those are uh, chickens uh, who are crammed into some wire cages. So you can have red chickens, ducks, quail. Uh, you can also have you know, uh, invertebrates like crabs, uh, as well as fish, like you see here, uh, fish, oh, so uh, amphibians, I should say, reptiles, uh, and mammals as well, uh, like rabbits and goats. And it's worth mentioning uh, before we move forward that all of the pictures you are going to see in the uh, in this section uh, are uh, were taken at live markets in the Bay Area. Uh, yeah, we can go forward. Okay, um, so we actually had a few visits uh, to the live markets in the Bay Area. Uh, so our first and second visits uh, happened during uh, February and March of 2022. And during that time, we visited uh, a full 18 shops around the Bay Area. I think all but two of them were in San Francisco proper. I think the others may be you know, San Jose and Oakland. Uh, but yeah, most of these shops were selling uh, invertebrates like crabs, as well as fish, uh, some which had reptiles uh, and amphibians. And yeah, at the end of our first two visits here, uh, we decided to send our uh, video evidence uh, to the San Francisco uh, ACC. Uh, and yeah, here in this picture, you can see some, some uh, I guess, like transport containers with, with frogs in them uh, that don't really have any water, uh, which you know is going to be one of the problems I, I talk about uh, very shortly, actually. Yeah, uh, as I was saying, right, the frogs uh, are kept in sort of substandard conditions uh, where they are essentially piled up on top of each other. Uh, you can see in this picture how, yeah, they are just really uh, climbing all over each other. And this is just a plastic tub, right? There's nothing like on, on the side of this uh, that is you know, some sort of incredible frog habitat. Uh, you can see that what little, little water there is uh, is brown and very dirty. Uh, and yeah, when these frogs are purchased by customers uh, and then killed, uh, some of these frogs have their heads chopped off uh, without any sort of stunning. Uh, for fish, we see a 
great number who are sort of injured uh, and left there. They have visible wounds, uh, open wounds. I think you could see that a little bit in the first picture uh, that I had when talking about San Francisco uh, live markets. Uh, these fish are, I've never seen them you know, being offered veterinary care. They were not separated uh, from the other animals. Uh, so yeah, they just sort of have to, have to swim around uh, with those sorts of wounds. Uh, a lot of them exhibited sort of strange behavior uh, that we saw, like uh, gasping for air at the surface of the water or even like swimming upside down. Uh, the fish that you see here uh, is not one uh, who is uh, swimming upside down. Uh, that fish is dead. Like a lot of fish uh, were when we visited these live markets, uh, a lot of the fish uh, had died in uh, these uh, tanks and were basically just left there. Uh, around the other fish. Uh, you can see from the look of the tanks in this picture uh, that they are just completely bare, right? There's no sort of like enrichment or even substrate, anything like that. Uh, they're really just uh, bare with just a lot of other fish uh, cramped in these environments. Uh, some fish had even more cramped conditions where they were displayed in small plastic tubs uh, in the front of stores. Uh, where there's really no room uh, for them to, to swim around at all. Uh, and the killing uh, of these fish, I think, uh, was pretty horrendous. Uh, in my personal opinion, uh, we see instances of you know, fish being taken out of water and being bludgeoned with sticks or the backs of knives, and then the workers having to bludgeon these animals multiple times, uh, because after you know, the first hit, uh, these animals were, were still moving around. Uh, some fish, when they were, sorry, <laughs> when they were supposed to be displayed uh, for customers or customers were uh, inquiring about them, would be taken out of the water and just sort of placed onto the sidewalk uh, to sort of suffocate uh, as, I don't know, I guess like a proof of how lively the fish were or something like that. I'm not really sure. Uh, but yeah, you can move on. Turtles as well, I think you see a lot of the issues that were present in the frogs. Uh, so these animals, right, are kept in little to no water. There were some uh, turtles that we saw that literally had none. Uh, they were just in the same sort of plastic tubs uh, that I already showed for the, uh, the frogs. Uh, in any case, they never really had much room to move around or anything like that. Uh, you can see this turtle here. Uh, is just in a cooler. I believe there is some water in there, though it's hard to see. But this turtle is also trapped in a plastic or a mesh bag, right? Uh, this turtle was left there uh, to be displayed like that, and you know, obviously, there's there's not much a turtle can do really uh, in this sort of environment. Uh, and again, like the frogs, when these animals are killed after being purchased, uh, their heads are cut off uh, with zero anesthetic. Yeah, so uh, unfortunately, uh, after we submitted all of our footage uh, to the ACC, uh, they were unfortunately not willing to, to prosecute uh, based on the vi videos we sent. Uh, so we decided to make a final visit to the San Francisco live markets uh, where we uh, were able to document a frog uh, being stuck in a plastic bag, uh, which was then tied up. Uh, and the frog was left there for, for several minutes in that bag uh, with dwindling oxygen. 
as uh, the, the bag was handled by a uh, shop employee. Uh, so we called uh, ACC uh, about this incident, uh, but unfortunately they said that they uh, could only come uh, to, to check this out after a few weeks. Uh, the officer did seem very sympathetic uh, to our plight and to the plight of the animals, uh, but it, it seemed like there was maybe a, a lack of officers uh, and also a language barrier. Uh, to consider when, you know, uh, when they would be inspecting these sorts of live markets. Um, so yeah, uh, we ran into to those sorts of issues uh, after our, our final visit. All right. Um, I think Scott may have said this earlier, but just to make clear, so we didn't include videos in this presentation. Um, for a couple of reasons. One, because we didn't want to cause a technological catastrophe um, and slow everything down and then, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, two, because they're really graphic and they take up time. Um, but all of these images are, it, the reason some of them are a little bit lower quality, right? They come from, it, most of what we submit to ACC is, is video footage. So you can see like the entire incident playing out, not just photographic evidence. Um, again, I, I, I mentioned this earlier, but we're just focusing on animal cruelty today, so I, I'm omitting all of the issues about, you know, diseases, native species, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and our big picture ask here is just that we'd like the cruelty laws to be enforced um, the same way that they be enforced, you know, on behalf of a pig, a dog, um, a cow, a chicken, et cetera. Um, because the laws, as I'll talk about in a second, apply equally to all these animals. Um, there's actually three sets of cruelty laws that are applicable in these live animal markets. Um, and that's really a testament to California and to all of the laws that the state and also the city of San Francisco have passed. Um, I didn't throw this up here to make people read tons of language. It's just to show how broad California's cruelty law is. And this, believe it or not, is just a tiny piece of it. Um, it covers a lot of conduct and it applies to all animals except human beings. Um, so that's about as broad a cruelty law as you can possibly get. Um, and it very clearly applies to all of the animals in the in the live markets as well. Um, oh, this I think this is perfect timing. I, I'm on a tiny screen, but is that Miss Corso? Yes. Oh, hi. How she are you? It's <laughs> nice to meet you. Um, I mentioned earlier. I just said, you know, thank you for everything that ACC is doing, and I'm I'm hoping this is actually perfect timing because I'm we're just getting into kind of the discussion of cruelty laws that might apply in live, that do apply in live animal markets um, and some masks for ACC. And um, I was saying earlier that I, I hope that we can be a good resource for you and also just to open up a, a conversation about what you think is practical in terms of what we're asking and what you think may not be as practical and why and, um, and how we can be helpful and, and work on the same page so that we can give what uh, ACC needs. Um, Anyway, um, so thank you. Good timing. Um, sure, we we're talking about the, the state. So I thought of. Oh, sorry, I, I, I couldn't hear. Um, I did get your slides, so I did go through them. So I'm ready. <laughs> Thanks. Um, okay, so we were talking about the three sets of cruelty laws that apply in the live markets. Um, so again, I was saying this is you know obviously not all of California cruelty law, but it just shows how extensive it how expansive it is, and it's a testament to California and to San Francisco for 
um, having these expansive laws and having cruelty laws that apply to all animals except human beings. And unlike a lot of states, we're not carving out, you know, common agricultural practice exemptions. Um, so this really is, you know, some of the, the broadest state laws that there are protecting animals. Um, and then on top of that, you have your specific cruelty laws and your specific protections for live markets. And those target, I guess, the most common conduct to the most common animals in these live market settings. Um, and you can see that these align very much with the pictures that Scott was showing earlier from the live markets, right? So um, 597.3, right, it talks about um, animals not being dismembered, flayed, cut open um, while still alive. And you saw the images of, you know, the turtles being, or I don't know if you had an image of that, Scott, but um, the videos include, you know, like turtles being cut open while alive, things like that. Um, and then, of course, you know, confinement. Um, you saw the images of the frogs and the turtles and the mesh bags and the small plastic tanks, um, suffocation, right? Frogs tied up in these plastic bags, et cetera. Um, and then local laws, local San Francisco laws, which largely mirror the, the state laws. Um, so we had a few asks of ACC. And, and again, I'm curious to see um, which of these are, are more doable maybe than others. Um, but the three things that we came up with, the first was more regular policing of the markets. Um, Again, as Scott said, every ACC officer we talked to was lovely and very caring and very helpful. Um, it just seems like maybe there were constraints on actually being able to, to get there. So when we would call and report cruelty that was happening in front of us, the officer would say, well, you know, it'd be two or three weeks until we can get there. Um, so of course, not in time to witness that kind of an incident. Um, so being able to actually be at the markets more regularly to, to see what's going on um, and just to show proprietors that, you know, there will be a, a presence at these markets to enforce the laws and, you know, of course, prioritizing responses to cruelty reports. And I, I, I do realize that a lot of these are, are resource dependent, um, which leads me to third point, which is um, law enforcement based on evidence presented, whether that means issuing a written warning um, or if a written warning has already been issued, then, you know, a citation under the live markets law or whatever other um, follow up that the law allows or requires. Um, and the reason I emphasize this is because um, this is what we do in a lot of states with a lot of different kinds of markets and animals and um, practices. And this is a lot of times how we're able to, you know, secure criminal prosecutions like the one at the Jeanette facility that I was talking about earlier, the Tyson grower. Um, you know, when we're able to present a lot of raw, unedited footage, um, oftentimes that's plenty for um, animal control officers, or prosecutors, or law enforcement to use to issue the written warnings and the citations. Um, and so we want to be available to provide this evidence. I know there's other organizations that would do the same. And our legal team, I can say, is, is always available to help when resources are, are tight or otherwise. Um, and yeah, I, I think I'll, I'll leave it at that for now, unless Scott, you had anything else that you wanted to say. And I just um, wanted to say thank you again so much to the commission and to Michael and to ACC for all the work that you're all doing and for inviting us to talk to you today. Yeah, I didn't have too much to add to that. Thank you, Jerob. Um, but I did forget to, to maybe mention a new investigation that we released uh, actually within the last uh, week. Uh, so if anyone you know, would like to, to see that, it's a investigation into a pig breeding facility where we see a lot of horrible things uh, like you know, piglets surviving euthanasia uh, attempts and, and pigs walking around with huge uh, 
prolapses and things like that. Uh, really, I think, impactful footage. Uh, but yeah, feel free to check that out on our websites. I was going to say, did you link to the New York Times story here anywhere in the slides? Ooh, I don't think I did either. Well, it's on our website. So um, it's a great New York Times article by Nicholas Kristof, who's been writing for the Times for, I think, 40 years or something. So it's, it's, a, it's a very well-written article. Okay, great. Uh, thank you so much for your presentation. Thank you for coming here tonight to speak with us. And also thanks to um, Deputy Director Corso. I know she had a couple of last minute um, scheduling conflicts. So I'm happy that she was able to get here. So thank you for coming tonight. Um, okay, um, I know there's a lot here to go over. Uh, so I guess um, I'll open it up with any kind of questions um, from the commissioners. And then afterwards, maybe if Amy can give us, uh, excuse me, Deputy Director Corso can give us uh, maybe her insights into uh, some of this. And um, I guess, um, also open it up to any questions that Jarab and Scott might have. So, first of all, any commissioners who would like to speak? Okay, why don't we start going from this? Commissioner Garfunk. Oh, Commissioner Reed. Okay, I just had a couple questions. You mentioned the dead fish and things like that in the tanks. Could the Department of Public Health help with issues like that? Would that be a health issue? I mean, it seems like they could, if they could take up some of the burden from SFACC of some of the enforcement, it might help. And the other thing, I guess, that the question was, are, do they exist multi-language, these pamphlets and signs? That may be for Amy, actually. <laughs> yeah, we have them in many languages. And um, actually, you know, on a couple of occasions, we've utilized um, SFPD officers who spoke Cantonese or whatever language they needed. We've been able to utilize them to go out with us as well. Um, but we have the, our um, information sheets in several different languages. Thank you. Okay, um, Commissioner Carfink. Um, You mentioned the language barrier as one of kind of the issues you encountered with enforcement. To clarify, does that imply that the like SFACC or someone attempted to communicate with the people kind of committing this cruelty, or is that assumed? I'm just a little clarification there. Um, as per, I think my communications with ACC, uh, it was really just cited as as one of the reasons why uh, a, a visit uh, by ACC to the live markets would take a few weeks, right? Uh, so it was, you know, the issue of maybe not having officers who are available, uh, and then the sort of like language barrier and the need to procure a, a translator was was cited as well. Thank you. I, oh, well, I, was, I didn't mean to brush over the the question about public health earlier either. That was um, it's a great question, and I think the short answer is yes. Um, that's a department that can be involved. There are other departments as well that I believe can be involved. Um, and I think that um, in a lot of ways, well, we are more than happy and, you know, to, to reach out to those departments as well. I think a big part of that would be, you know, interagency communication and cooperation to the extent that we can help to, to facilitate that or that ACC can say to these departments, like, look, we can, we can do more on our side if you're doing more on your side. Um, and I think that's that's at least in our experience in other jurisdictions, that's one of the best ways to move things along. And of course, if we can help in that way, we are more than happy to. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Van Horn, please. <clears throat> Not so much a question as much as a comment. 
and a little history on how this has come before the commission in the past. Um, at the onset of COVID-19, I spent a lot of time um, going down to the San Francisco live markets, um, talking to people that operated them, talking to um, some community leaders down there and got Dan Noyes involved from uh, one of the local ABC affiliates. Um, it wound up being kind of a, a hot potato that was kind of impossible to move forward with the commission or the city. For a number of reasons, um, first of all, ACC, um, you know, unless we have mammals involved, the prosecutable laws get really um, vague, especially talking to the DA's office um, when you're dealing with chickens, reptiles, um, and frogs and fish that are designed for c consumption. Um, 597B um, doesn't apply over 599B, I believe it is, which... Uh, excludes those animals from the protections they would otherwise get. Um, for a little history, I reached out no fewer than eight times to um, Supervisor Peskin's office. Um, I was told unofficially that District 3 has a lot of voting people that like um, the wet markets. Um, so his office has never gotten back to, to anybody on the commission, to my knowledge. Um, and further, um, the official um, sort of enforcement on this falls to USDA in everybody's opinion. And USDA has made it clear to me that they do not have the um, available inspectors to make any regular um, investigations in Chinatown for, for the most part. So I, I welcome the commission and everybody revisiting these, these topics and um, this issue, but um, historically it hasn't gone very far and it's, it's kind of frustrating. Yeah, that's, that's very helpful for us to hear. And I think we've, we've heard similar frustrations, um, you know, from people that we've talked to about these, these past attempts. Um, and so it's, it's great to hear it voiced. I think um, there were a lot of pieces there. So I will, I can try to address each of them. And if I miss anything, obviously, please tell me. Um, as far as interpreting the law goes, um, our interpretation of the law, and I, I believe, you know, a very textually correct interpretation of the law is that um, 599, or sorry, the, the 597.3, the live markets laws are, are really, they're on top of the general cruelty laws, right? There's no kind of provision that says this should apply over the others. Um, California case law is very clear that, you know, the general cruelty laws apply to all animals. Um, so the way I, I think of it is like, you know, if you, um, for anybody with kids, for example, right? If you go out and, um, you know, you say to your kids, like follow all, you know, don't do anything I wouldn't do, right? Don't don't make a, don't do anything bad while I'm gone. And then you say also, because you know that, you know, in the, in the past, your kids who are, you know, very good with technology have busted into the TV and bought a lot of movies, right? And you say, and also don't, you know, don't buy movies on demand, right? That doesn't mean do everything else. That just means, and on top of this, we're gonna address this specific issue. Um, that's our interpretation of what the live market laws are doing. And we think that's the correct legal interpretation. Um, and I think the way that there, there's a couple of ways that if that interpretation is becoming an issue that we can address that very head on. One is for animal control to actually you know, institute these citations. Um, and if they're challenged on that basis, that that gets litigated out in court. Other ways are for the commission to actually make a formal recommendation to the board of supervisors to clarify that in legislation. Um, so there are, there are a lot of ways that we can go about addressing it to the extent that that language is an issue. But 
as a base matter, you know, and as a matter of legal interpretation, we don't actually think it does pose an issue. The second thing I would point out is that, you know, a lot of what we show, we, we try to have a good balance of everything. So a lot of the violations are not just violations of those standard California cruelty laws. They are also violations of those express live market laws, right? So suffocating a frog in a bag or cutting a turtle open while alive or confining them in all those those you know tiny plastic tubs those are direct violations of 597.3 and that whole you know statutory interpretation question doesn't actually come up and into play um, you know as far as the practical matters I you know this is obviously a very complicated and um, contentious issue for a lot of different reasons but I think that's why our approach to this is to say to each department you know, this is not an overall attack on wet markets or live markets anymore than, I mean, listen, we, we are an animal rights organization, right? There's no secret about that. We would like to end the exploitation of all animals, but coming at this from a, an objective legal perspective, um, there are laws in place that protect animals and those are the cruelty laws. There are public health laws as, as you know, was mentioned before. Um, and enforcing those laws is not, you know, an attack on live markets any more than, you know, enforcing them in a puppy mill is, you know, an attack on dog breeders or anything else. Um, so I don't know if that addressed all of your points in turn, but I, I hear your frustrations and I think they're very shared among a lot of people. And to the extent that we can help overcome those, I think we have some very practical ideas and we would love to be part of that. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Van Horn. Did you have any other questions or anything? Okay, great. And thank you for your for the follow-up, Cherub. We'll go on. Um, Commissioner Ozenoy. Yes, hi. Thank you so much for the presentation. On in terms of um invasive species, for example, there's a lot of Japanese quail that are at these markets. Have you um had the opportunity to get California Department of Fish and Wildlife involved? So that's another excellent question. Kind of the same answer as I would say to public health is Yes, that is a department that actually we have not, you know, led reaching out to, but it is definitely a department that is worth reaching out to and that a lot of other organizations have reached out to. And I think, um, you know, it's it's a piecemeal process, right? So this is speaking with animal care, right, with ACC, that's one piece of the puzzle. And then, you know, it, it's kind of like who's going to who's going to take the first step. And because this is our specialty, this is kind of like our our first step, but all of these pieces, I think, are, are equally important. And yes, that agency absolutely can and should get involved. Um, Deputy Director Corso, is it? Am I correctly remembering remembering that Warden O'Brien goes out to the markets? Uh, it was Warden O'Brien. Unfortunately, he is uh, now up north. Um, so, as far as I'm aware, we still do not have another warden um, for San Francisco. But we have worked with him in the past. We've gone out with him in the past. I can comment also as far as fish and game goes um, in regard to the, the live markets. Um, one thing that they are very stringent about is making sure that no animals leave the live market alive. There are many people that have tried to rescue animals and they get in a lot of trouble if uh, if an animal does leave alive. So that's sort of circumventing the wildlife getting into the population thing and also pretty much exclusively nowadays in the live markets everything is farmed um, there's very little that's caught live especially in the avian um, areas um, so fishing game has said that you know unless they they see violations of people taking things illegally from california or animals are leaving the live market alive they're not getting involved 
Any other questions from the commissioners? Um, I, I actually just have a comment as well too. We have a um, we have a structure that exists for cruelty cases when it comes to um, dogs and vicious and dangerous dog court. Um, it seems to me like you've made a pretty generous offer to ACC to help them in um, these cruelty cases, and you have investigative staff and all. Um, might that not also be some way to extend a partnership in these investigations as well? I mean, I realize, of course, first, being able to get the word out there that this is going to be enforced and is enforced, and then you have the might behind the investigation, and you can actually redistribute the work, because I know right now I'm sympathetic to the fact that ACC is woefully understaffed. And so any partnerships actually just help extend the um, the ability to really take this matter seriously. So, so to answer that question, um, you know, the difficulty, unfortunately, isn't necessarily in in the staffing. Um, the difficulty is in the laws. Um, what we really need help with, you know, if if this is something we want to work on is the the legislative end of it you know 597 point or sorry five yeah five i'm like blanking right now 597.3 we cite for often and the problem is it's an infraction it's it's pennies out of their pocket it's it's an infraction um and so we cite for that when we see it um we are not peace officers we have to see it we can't do a citizen's arrest so we cannot um you know, take a third, you know, second hand account, third hand account. Um, and as far as 597, as far, you know, Dr. Van Horn, to your point, we agree with you. And that's also what we've been told that if you look at subsection E, it only applies to protected species, um, protected fish, protected amphibians, you know. Um, so I encourage you to look at that. That said, if you know of a county, um, that has successfully prosecuted live animal markets under that, I'd be really curious to know, you know, which county, and we would absolutely reach out to them. Um, but as far as we know, I didn't see any examples um, in your presentation, uh, but, uh, you know, I have not seen anybody been able to prosecute um, live animal markets under 597A or B. Um, and that's why 597.3 exists, you know, for the live animal markets is very specific. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't apply to poultry. <laughs> so, um, you know, to that point, I would just say the, the legislative end is the way to go. On that note, also, um, when I was involved in researching this years back, I did reach out to the district attorney's office. Of course, they were embroiled in a lot at the time. And we have new district attorneys now, but they never got back to me after numerous comments. But my point at the time was that it's really not um, effective to have animal control try and enforce things, even if you make a public statement by by citing somebody if the DA's office isn't going to back that up. So getting verification that they'd be behind, you know, this type of a movement before a citation is even written would be beneficial because if you know, some if a live market owner goes into court and defeats a citation, that's that's a bigger blow to you know regulation and oversight than anything else would be. 
So I, I have a question actually, if, if you don't mind, which is um, if you are, so, so you mentioned that ACC is unable to issue a citation based on, you know, video evidence, for example. And I, I guess I was just wondering why that would be. And if that is the case, you know, based on a policy reason where, where you would recommend approaching with, you know, that kind of video evidence. Well, it's because we're not peace officers. So for instance, when, you know, if we have a case where um, we're being presented with video evidence, so we didn't see it firsthand, um, you know, that's a misdemeanor. We would go for, we would have to do a DA's warrant, right? So we can't cite at that time. We have to go through, write, you know, a whole arrest warrant affidavit and go that process. Um, right. So we're not peace officers, um, which, you know, we've we've had conversations in the past about whether prop 15 applies to us or not the da's office has made it very clear they don't believe it does um so if that answer makes sense to you <laughs> yeah so it so it seems maybe like it's more of a, a resource constraint in terms of bringing those charges through through that other process as opposed to issuing the citations as as a peace officer would Yes, and but that said, I want to reiterate that we do issue these citations. Um, sure. Unfortunately, it it doesn't phase. It's it's a very low fine. You know, the first time it has to be a written warning. Um, the second time can be the citation, right? But the citation, I think, the fine is like two hundred and fifty to max a thousand. However, they have the chance to defer if they take a course, which I'm not aware of a course that exists in California. Right. Um, at this point, um, I've done some research on that. I know that, um, like Florida Department of Fish and Wildlife has some diversion courses, um, but we don't have one at the present. And I have been in touch with different organizations, including um, Fish and Wildlife, and have begun this discussion. Um, but you know, creating something like that takes a very, very long time, um, and unfortunately, takes a lot of money as well. Um, not to say it can't be done or won't be done. Um, a lot of people are looking into it, but um, again, you know, it's it doesn't seem that these citations are deterring them. But again, that doesn't mean we're going to stop. <laughs> sure. But to Dr. Van Horn's point, you know, yes, it, things often get um, tossed out, and and not necessarily just by the DA's office. Um, occasionally, the judge as well, and especially right now, post pandemic, with the courts being very backed up. Um, you know, we're we're seeing more things dismissed uh, because they're you know looking at violent crimes and and you know starting with felonies on down. So um, again, that doesn't mean we'll stop doing it, but um, oftentimes it's it's for not you know. Of, of course. So I mean, I get I guess the question that I would circle back to then is where can be where so in that link in that chain, where can we fit in in a link that would be most helpful? So say we bring you evidence of, you know. 50 violations, very clear on video, clear violations of 597.3, so the live market citations, and also, you know, in our view, violations of, uh, now I'm mixing up the numbers, but uh, section B, <laughs> 597B, sorry. Um, and we bring those to you, and you're saying that, it, you know, it can be difficult to, to get those charges promulgated. How is there a way that we could be effective in that link in terms of helping to bring those charges or, you know, for you to connect the dots, maybe if we send you that footage and then it goes to a district attorney or to local law enforcement where that authority may be more recognized? 
I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, the, the way I interpret the law and the way my counterparts at different agencies have interpreted is that, you know, because of subsection E, where it specifically says that by, you know, animal they mean, and it's the protected species, um, I don't believe it applies to the live animal markets. Um, and that's, you know, the other, my counterparts at other agencies understand it to be that as well. Um, that's what I'm saying. If you have any, you know, case law you know of where a live animal market was successfully, um, you know, charged under 597B, uh, I'd be very interested to know. I, and I would reach out to them to find out how they did it because, you know, all the conversations we've had, and trust me, I've had many, um, it, it doesn't apply. And, okay. you know, so like I said, from the, you know, from our end, the way to be most effective is changes in the law. Um, best that, that, oh, no, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, that's okay. I'm sorry. No, is it, I mean, that's, that's great. That's very helpful for us to know. And maybe, um, I mean, I, I don't want to keep going back and forth on here, but I, I'm more than happy if, if you're willing or if ACC is willing to, you know, bring the conversation offline so that we can, you know, kind of, uh, pass along, I guess, our, our interpretation of the law and the case law that we're drawing that from, um, because I do think it's it's very important, not just, I mean, and th this is helpful, right, because it shows us that one thing the commission, I think, can, can do that would be especially helpful is offer legislative suggestions to the Board of Supervisors, but there's also, um, you know, I, I think at least from my perspective, and part of this is bias because I'm a litigator and I prefer to go through the court system, but um, I do think that, you know, a strong interpretation of the law, the way that we see it um, is, is something that can be achieved by bringing these these charges through the court system. So again, I, I, I won't, you know, keep going in circles about the legal nuances here, but I would love to bring that conversation offline, especially if we can be helpful in, in that way. Do, do you happen to have any case law? Do you know of a case that was successfully charged under 597, either A or B? Not against the live market, no. Okay. Um, so the precedent that I'm looking at is, is interpreting the law to apply to all animals. So, for example, um, I'm going off the top of my head here, so I, I hope I'm not uh, misquoting, but I think there's a case called Banaquet, I want to say, out of the third department. Um, I, I Again, I have to look that up, and I'd have to send it to you, but I believe Banaquet, which I'm probably butchering the pronunciation in the third department, you know, is, you know, just a case, for example, that stands for the proposition that 597B applies to all animals and that animals means, you know, every living creature, not a human being. And, you know, so, so those are the interpretations, I think, that are especially helpful in, in pushing forward and advancing these cases. Yeah. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, we, um, it was a rude awakening the first time I realized that, you know, that subsection excluded others when we brought um, a cruelty case um, with a pigeon. Um, and it was pointed out to us that, no, this doesn't apply. Um, that was, that was uh, hard to swallow. <laughs> um, but, you know, that subsection E, take, take a look at that. Um, and I have your email here as well. So uh, we can definitely continue this conversation offline. Okay, that, that would be great. Thanks. I would add um, also that in terms of the legal arena, um, most of what you've described absolutely does go against the Humane Methods of Slaughter Act. However, that's federal law and needs the USDA to be involved. And there are, I think, three USDA inspectors are actively working on all of the USDA stuff in Central California. Um, and their office is, has made it clear they just 
don't have the resources to to get involved. So it's another stumbling block in terms of the law versus the ability to enforce it. Okay, um, so I have a couple questions as well, and I want to thank, first of all, Commissioner Van Horn and Deputy Director Corso for all the work and everything that they've been doing concerning this issue, um, or this matter, I should say. Um, my questions regard um, I, to Deputy Director Corso. I know you mentioned that you've written infractions before, or ACC has written infractions. Mm -hmm. I was wondering, um, were these infractions concerning live animal market issues, or just? Um... Oh yeah, that's all. That's all I was speaking okay. to here. Yeah, so. Um, we've written several, um, I mean, many over the years, but, uh, I think the, the most recent that pop in my head, one was for, um, uh, kind of overcrowding. I think you had a picture that was kind of like that and that, you know, that could lead to suffocation injury, you know, stuff like that. So under that portion of 597.3, um, and actually one of our officers walked into one of the markets as they were, um, cutting open a live turtle. So, um, you can imagine how frustrating it is to the officer that with that happening right in front of her, all she can do is <laughs> write an infraction. Um, yeah. But she did. Okay. So. And actually that was, that was part of my second question or second part of the question was for these infractions, um, were these as a result of an officer watching or seeing this actually happening? Yes, they have to witness it. So in other words, kind of going back and I apologize if, if I missed it, but um, video. Of it would, would not be of any assistance. So again, um, if it's something that we don't witness, we have to go through a DA's warrant. We're not going to get that for an infraction. Um, we can get that to, for a misdemeanor or a felony, but you know, that, I mean, that, and that takes writing up a whole case file, you know, and uh, you know, an arrest warrant affidavit. Like it's it's a lot, and they're they're not going to do that for an infraction. Okay, and then um, according to the to the letter that was sent out. Uh, from Animal Outlook, and for those who are watching remotely, um, this letter is um, downloadable on um, our agenda's website or our agenda's page of the website. Um, they said that when they were calling in after witnessing a violation, that they were told it would take two to three weeks for ACC to investigate based on a call. Is is that the case? That it that I was kind of wanting clarification concerning that, like if. You do receive some information concerning a, a an incident at a at a live animal market with video, let's say, or, or something else. Um, will ACC investigate it? Based yes, on that? We'll, we'll always investigate. If something's actively happening, we will respond. If it's a complaint, hey, you know, I was walking by two weeks ago and saw this, then it goes into what we call a hard copy complaint, and those we have to go out as we have time. Um, as you can imagine, we have many, many complaints that we have to follow up on, um, including live animal markets, but um, nope. many cruelty, neglect, um, vicious and dangerous, you know, there's spay neuter violations. Yeah. There's a, I can go on. And I definitely know you do because I know I receive them sometimes as you know, and I forward them to you and there's sometimes very little information there. And plus, to be honest, some of them, I think, well, I, I just really question. You know, as far as whether they even happened or anything else. So I know that there is not just actual complaints that you get that are valid of investigation, but there's also a lot of stuff that you get that, that basically, you know, are probably not true or just, you know, someone sending them just to you because who knows why. Yeah, we, we get a lot that go nowhere, <laughs> whether it's a neighbor complaint, a roommate, you know, a quarrel. Um, but, you know, we get a complaint, we follow up on everyone, unless there's reason to believe it's really, you know, 
not valid, but for the most part, we're following up on all complaints. Okay, and I understand that. Yeah. Um, so the reason why I'm asking that is, um, you know, going back to the infractions that were that were provided in the past or written up. Um, so in the case of the 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 officer that witnessed that frog being slaughtered, um, were they in there to for some? Were they there as a result of maybe a? a why, why were they in the market? Basically, was it as a result of I, something else? I believe for that one, it was just it was either a check in or a hard copy complaint. Okay. I mean, we have you know we have a list of all the ones we visited over the year, um, and especially if you're in the area, you know you stop by. Um, I think this one was directed, if I recall, I would have to look back for specifics. Um, no. But this may have been the one where uh, we utilized an SFPD officer. Um, and, you know, if we do something like that, we're going to try to hit more than one, right? So we'll try to make the rounds while we have an interpreter with us. We also do have the language line. So um, if something's actively happening, we're not going to not go because we don't have an interpreter physically with us. There is a number we can call for an interpreter. It's a little, it's a little more difficult because, you know, you're on the phone and going back and forth, but, um, but it is something we, we do have to utilize often. Yeah, and actually, I'm assuming that that's probably the same as with with the commission too, as well. That we have access to a translator as well. Exactly. Um, but I was going to say, so okay, so I'm sorry. One more thing concerning that: um, how often do um, do animal control officers go out to 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 some of these locations and look around? Or I would I would have to pull the stats. Um, I don't know how. I'd have to think of how they'd be able to pull that though, because it's by address, you know, and they all have. Or just addresses. like, you know, just, you know, kind of an idea of, of how frequent or. I mean, ebbs and flows, right? So sometimes you have more complaints coming in. Sometimes it's just like a, you know, stopping by. So it just, it kind of depends, you know, obviously if we start having more complaints, then we're going out more often. Um, but the stopping by that's not like on a, on a schedule or anything, right? Not too much of a schedule okay. considering, you know, we have schedules for. Vicious dog violation, like we have a lot of schedules. Yeah. Um, pet shop inspections, you know, that's one where we've had to, um, like live animal markets. It's, you know, the supervisors like, oh look, we're we have a we have a minute to breathe. Let's do this <laughs> instead of breathing. Oh. <laughs> Send you out to do this. Um, so it's not on. They don't, you know, they don't have a calendar. It's not scheduled that way, but um, it's always on the radar. Okay. And uh, Jared or uh, or Scott, do you have any questions or anything to? To have before we. Yep. All, all I would add is well, 1, especially to deputy director Corso. Thank you for having the conversation and for for engaging with us. And I would love to continue it offline because I think, um, you know, just to, to summarize 1 of the most helpful things that. That hopefully that we could do, um, if you're willing to approach this together in this way, um, is to recommend these kinds of. Charges because I mean, the way that I read 597 E, and I know it seems like maybe we disagree on this, or, or if not disagree, that um, you've had unfavorable feedback on this. Um, but I think, you know, pushing for these charges is, is one way, probably the best way to go about um, ensuring that there's favorable interpretations of this law. Um, and then if all else fails, right, then it would be recommendations to the legislature. But I think, you know, California law and the way the cruelty statutes are as written are especially strong. And so I, I would love to put our heads together and be able to to take advantage of that. And thank you so much for, for talking to us about it today. Thank you. And Scott, do you have anything or? 
you want to? Uh, no questions on my end, uh, but yeah, I do want to thank everyone for their questions because I think I, I learned a lot um, about okay. uh, you know various enforcement uh, you know, topics. So thank you. Any questions from the commissioners? Okay, Commissioner Reed. I just had one question. Say I went out on Monday and visited four live markets and saw something. At this point in time, what would be the chance of me calling in and having an officer available to go out and check on it? It depends on the calls. It right. depends on what calls we have. Um, you know, we're, we're also not, you know, we don't have, we have lights, but we don't have sirens. We can't respond to code three. We still have to obey all traffic laws. Um, and you know how the city is. Sometimes it can take you 30 minutes to get across town, um, sometimes more. Uh, so it depends the location of the officers, what they're dealing with, um, depends on the day. And unfortunately, you can't predict that. But if we saw it was actively happening, that would be, if you called and said it was actively happening, that would be a priority call. So as soon as we could free up an officer, someone would be on their way. Thank you. And I have actually one more question for Deputy Director Corso, and I don't want this to sound, um, I, I don't want it to be taken the wrong way, but the way I understand it is that basically, um, any abuse reported at like a live animal market would be the same as for any animal. It's not like prioritized as far as, I mean, it would still be responded to just like any other type of abuse or cruelty or any, any kind of crime, any kind of thing that's reported, correct? Yeah, it would be responded to. I mean, if you're asking me if at the same time we have a call for, you know, someone is stabbing a dog no. versus, I mean, <laughs> I, I just meant in know. terms of like, you know, I, I just want to point out that, you know, that, that there is, um, that ACC is, is placing importance on this, obviously. Absolutely. They can. I mean, yeah, and like I said, we'll go out, we'll cite the infraction. Um, unfortunately, we can't control where it goes from there. Uh, but, you know, if, I mean, you've met, you've met some of the officers, you know, they're all, um, they're in animal welfare for a reason. Um, and Agreed. it doesn't, doesn't stop at cats and dogs. Okay, I appreciate that. I appreciate the clarification. And yeah, again, I didn't mean for their question to sound Strange, I was just wanted to confirm that for, for people, people listening as well as, you know, for everyone. Any other questions or anything else from the commission before we open up for public comment? And that just, just in case Deputy Director Corso wasn't here and we said this before, um, every officer that we've spoken to at ACC in, in your department has been very kind and caring and, and thoughtful. So we've, we've had no issues interacting with any of the officers. They've all been wonderful from our end. So just in case you weren't here before when we, when we said that, um, it's, it seems like a great department. Yeah, I'm not surprised at all. It's a good bunch. Oh, yes, Commissioner Reed. Actually, I had one other question. We hear that farmers markets sometimes have live animals. But is that is that true in the city at this point? Do you know? I have not heard that. Um, and it's definitely not the case of the farmers markets I've attended. Are, what? Well, that, I say it's more anecdotal then which is why i'm asking the question i've just heard people s include farmers markets with live animal markets. not that i'm aware of that doesn't mean it's not the case but not that not that i'm aware of no, as far as you know in san francisco they, it's not a problem in the farmers market as far as i know it's not i believe at one time there were live animals in farmers market especially i think in the civic center one this was years and years ago but i don't believe it is anymore but i could be wrong but 
Almost every farmer's market um, has independently said no live animals um, uh, at the farmer's market. As a matter of fact, most of them don't even allow dogs in anymore. Um, the one other thing that I'd say before we go to public comment is if the commission did want to take this any further, I think that the first step is trying to invite a representative from uh, Supervisor Peskin's office, invite a representative from the health department, invite a representative um, possibly from the Chinatown um, commission and uh, maybe have a um, a part of a meeting that's dedicated specifically to everybody giving their input in the same way that ACC has tonight. Thank you, Commissioner Van Horn. Very good suggestion. In fact, I was going to mention that if, you know, maybe we can all collectively put our heads together at some point and think about next steps because it is something obviously we want to address, something we want to help with. I would say for the Department of Public Health piece, I think their piece is more contamination. Um, you know, the cruelty is not going to be in, in their area, but contamination is more where the environmental health piece comes in. Thank you. Um, okay, so I'm sorry. Did you have any anyone else have any? Well, yes. I just guessed on that. Does DPA would DPH have greater punishment? Do you think if there were violations that they noted, do they have better enforcement than you? I would have to look into that. I honestly don't know. Okay, um, if there's no other questions or comments from the commissioners, I will open it for public comment. Is there anyone in person that would like to make a public comment? Okay, you can approach the podium. Okay, first of all, can you, um, do you mind stepping over to the uh, microphone? And why don't you give me those documents? Three each, one of each. There's three all together. Okay, my name is Patricia Briggs, and I'm sitting here hearing all this, and I'm really grateful that this is being brought, brought back. Um, myself um, and Eric Mills of Action for Animals in Oakland and Virginia Hanley, who's now in heaven, um, we introduced this issue in the 1990s, and believe you me, we went to everything. We went to the legislature. It's not a question of going back to the legislature. We're the ones that got that uh, infraction that says you can't flay them. San Francisco SPCA was very heavily involved. Um, they actually hired Dr. Markowitz, who's listed on that letter there. Um, he did necropsies. They did necropsies of about three dozen turtles, I believe it was, and so did Action for Animals and found that without exception, they were all adulterated. So they are selling illegally uh, animals for meat. So that's, again, that's the health department. We went through all this, we did all this. We went through, um, you know, fish and wildlife, which was what it was called back then. Um, farmers markets do, you're right. They do, uh, Heart of the City, which has been operating since 1981, um, did have a ban with um, live chickens. As a matter of fact, I had a picture, but I ran out of my coloring. Um, so anyway, um, it, it, the problem here is, um, you know, like Rich Avanzino and back then Carl Friedman was the director of animal care and control. 
and Rich Avanzino did a wonderful job. Every animal group was on board with this. We went to Sacramento, we went to Fish and Wildlife, we went to all the meetings in Long Beach, Sacramento, all over the state, Monterey. Um, but the, bo the bottom line is we, we, we don't need to do anything more. What we need to do is animal control needs to go out there every six months at least. You know, I called um, a couple years ago, there was a neighbor of mine that was um, walking his dog and he was kind of dragging the dog. I called animal control. Officer Sadler was out there the next day talking to them. Here, we're talking about animals cutting, being cut up alive. Okay, can, can I just, because I worked on this since 1995. Um, if, if we have to take, if animal care and control has to take two to three weeks to go out, that is the problem. And it's not, they can just stand there in the market for 10, 15 minutes um, and observe, you know, is there any water for these turtles? They're, these are soft shell turtles, they're, they're fully aquatic. There's not a drop of water. Frogs are, uh, you know, amphibians, they need water and, you know, stacked one on top of another. Anyway, and, and birds, you know, anyway, there's just so many hor hor horrible cruelties. Fish out of water, that's not something that you need to, um, you know, that's not, you can just go in there and talk to them. And sometimes they pretend they don't understand you. That's, they will play the race card. They're very good at doing that because they- Okay, um, uh, we're gonna have to cut your comments. Yeah, here. okay. So anyway, we've done all that. The bottom line is animal control needs to go out at least once every six months to all these markets and, um, you know, and cite these people. Okay, and thank you for your comment. One last thing, um, you gave us these documents. Mm -hmm. I'll go ahead and leave them for the commissioners to take, but. Are you okay with me uh, taking them and um, redacting your personal information and putting them on our website? Absolutely. Because then there'll be Absolutely. communications received by the commission. Absolutely. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for compassion over killing for adding on to tonight's. Okay, um, now we're um, for remote public comment. Uh, if you would like to make a remote public comment, um, please hit star three to be added to the speaker's queue. Okay, I see one caller. Okay, you can start your comment. Thank you. Hi, um, my name is Nadine May, native of San Francisco, and I know about this issue specifically because I was born and raised in San Francisco, but also because I've been dealing with feral cat colonies in Chinatown for the last almost 20 years. And so I have to walk around the area a lot. And it's very, very difficult to me, for me to walk along the Stockton Street because I know the kind of things that happen there. And we know that the laws have been passed, they haven't been enforced. I would love to add my request that at the very least, ACC go out every six months and document the fact that these animals are not getting food and water um, on a regular basis and are allowed to live without air without water. So I just, I want to thank everybody who brought this issue up again after so many years. And I fully support any action that will be taken. I especially wanted to say because of the disease issue, I've always thought how many years are we gonna wait for a child in Chinatown to die? of a transmittable disease that she got or he got from a diseased animal. Thank you. 
Okay, thank you for your comment. Okay, seeing no other comments, we can uh, close public comment. Okay, uh, thank you so much, uh, Jareb and Scott for being with us tonight. Um, I wanted to also explain to people just to kind of clarify too that, um, as you know, um, this issue, there's many, there's many facets to this issue. There's many things to be discussed concerning it. Um, this was um, in response to the, the message that I received or the correspondence I received from Anima Outlook concerning um, uh, cruelty. So that's one part that we did discuss tonight. But uh, again, there's a lot of other areas concerning this um, issue that we need to discuss. And I look forward to discussing more in the future. I'd also look forward to um, working more with Jareb and Scott in the future. And again, I ask all commissioners to please um, let's put our heads together and let's think of next steps as far as what we can do to, to try and um, do something about this. Okay. Uh, anything uh, more from Jareb and Scott before we go on to the next item? No, thank you again to everybody. Thanks so much for, for having us. Yes, yes, thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, um, so yes, okay, thank you everybody. Um, let's go on to the next uh, to the next um, item on the agenda, which is uh, old business reporting from animal care and control. Uh, animal care and control report regarding outcomes for animals, ongoing operations and present the April through June 2023 quarterly report. Uh, the quarterly report is available on our website um, on the agenda page. Okay, Deputy Director Corso, please begin your report when you are ready. Okay, so for this last quarter, um, we took in almost 2,000 animals, so 1,995, 581 were cats, 674 dogs, 740 others. Um, the one thing I think is important to note is how many owner surrenders we had. Uh, so 102 cats were surrendered, 148 dogs, and 38 others. Uh, we did adopt out 116 cats, 35 dogs, and 38 others. Um, so you can see how how we're getting in more than we can adopt out at this point. Um, we did place 134 animals into foster homes during this quarter. Um, 97 cats, 11 dogs, 26 others, uh, 13 rabbits, and 13 guinea pigs. We responded to 2,745 emergency calls for service, and uh, we received four calls regarding, regarding sightings of outdoor cats this quarter. Um, we transferred out a lot uh, of animals, so 206 cats, 184 dogs, 157 others, um, so that's 547 animals. Uh, total, I, you know, 1 thing I wanted to point out was, um, I know you have all seen the, um, you've probably seen the media around all the rabbits that we've been getting in. Um, and since we had done that, uh, the social media posts and, and, um, you know, some of the news programs, um, we've had 4 rabbits adopted and, uh, 3 others taken by an adoption partner, um, save a bunny and. Um, they're scheduled to take two additionally, and they're hoping to that, you know, by the end of August, they'll have taken 10. Hopefully that's what they're hoping they can make space for. Um, and we've also had several partners after that take uh, guinea pigs. So, um, it's freed up a lot of space um, for us in our small mammal population. Uh, so right now we currently have uh, 20 rabbits in the shelter and 3 in foster. 
and 18 guinea pigs in the shelter and uh, seven in foster. And, you know, the one thing I wanted to point out is, um, you know, these animals aren't moving very fast. So our longest term, term rabbits in the shelter were impounded in March. Um, and longest, let's see, I think the longest term rabbits that are in foster were impounded in January. Uh, so they're they're not moving very quickly, and we're getting a lot in. Um, luckily, we have a, a lot of adoption partners. Um, and what we really need, I know the the points, you know, people have said, let's get more fosters, let's get more fosters, but you know, we really need adopters. That's what we need um, because the animals in, that are in foster homes, um, they're just we haven't successfully adopted out a rabbit from a foster home. So it's the adopters we need. So if you know any, send them our way. They make great pets. If anybody here is interested, let me know. Um, I wanted to update you guys about uh, vets and vans. They're now on site every Tuesday. Wow. Yes, we went from starting off with every other week, uh, and it's been so successful that now they're on site every Tuesday. Um, we continue to work on hiring. We're currently hiring for shelter service reps. We're hiring for a veterinarian. Um, we're hiring for ACAs, although um, it looks like we have one starting uh, later this month, I think around the 19th, an animal care attendant. And then we also have um, a behavior and training uh, staff member coming on board. That's going to be later, in, uh, that's going to be in September. Uh, and while we have um, the gap, you know, missing. Uh, Dr. O'Neill, we still have Dr. Wyman, and I'm happy to report that we have an emergency hospital contract with SAGE. So we're now rolling with that. <laughs> um, we've also restarted our vaccine clinics. The first one was um, in July. We used uh, uh, our contract with Vets Advanced to, to make that happen. The next one is in September, um, September 9th. And thank you, Dr. Van Horn. Looks like we've got um, a vet who's um, going to volunteer for that in September, and then it looks like we have two vets volunteering for the one in December. So um, we're going to keep on going with that. And I don't know if I mentioned last time that uh, we're not just doing the rabies anymore because um, we've seen an uptick in the parvovirus. We're also offering DHLPP and my, you know microchips, of course. Um, our last pet pantry, which was yesterday. Um, with full belly bus served over 40 clients and most of them had uh, multiple pets in their home. So it's quite a few animals being fed and uh, last our paw boost merger happened. So that's been up and rolling now. Great. Um, let me ask a couple of questions and I'll open up to um, commissioners questions and then um, we'll open up to public comment um, concerning the vet appointment. Um, the vet position, excuse me. Mm -hmm. um, can you remind me again how many positions are currently vacant? For the veterinarian? Yeah. We one vacant Just position. Just one vacant. Yes. Okay. And then Dr. Wyman's our other vet. Okay, great. Still on staff. Um, we had talked about, or actually it's been mentioned a couple of times, just a long hiring process for the city to bring in new, um, new employees. Um, I was wondering if there was any kind of thoughts on, on that process and is there any way to kind of work around it? I don't know if that's the correct term or if there's any, what are your thoughts as far as when do you think this position could get, um, could get filled once an applicant has been chosen? Or I wish I could predict that. I really do. Um, what I can say is that the, the posting closed 
Um, so the hiring process is moving on. Um, and, you know, hopefully sooner rather than later, I, I, I know that um, our director Virginia Donahue has been, you know, has been mentioning that there's a sense of urgency with this position. So, um, that's a veterinary position. Correct. And how is, um, now that you're minus one vet, what is SFACC doing to, to kind of help with that? Or are they partnering with other vets or are they, is there anything that they can do or? Well, like I just mentioned, we now have a contract with Sage. Okay. So and, through them. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, and I knew that was for after hours. And so not just after oh, hours, it isn't. Okay. yeah, not just after hours. Um, and. You know, we've met with them and they know where our, our gaps are going to be until we can get this position hired and they're on board and um, they're so far really lovely to work with. So um, came at a very good time. That's you, great. Yes. You didn't mention the technician positions that haven't been filled. Did they, did they finally get filled over there? Well, the technician position, um, our tech just left. So that's in the process of hiring. So you lost the one tech that was we have we have a part time tech right now. Okay. And then volunteers. Okay, and I had a couple more questions. I'm um, going into like some of the some of the recommendations that we that we recently provided to SF um, ACC. Um, first of all, I appreciate the additional data on your reports, especially um, the number of emergency calls. As well as the calls re, um, regarding sightings of outdoor cats this quarter, um, do you have any additional information concerning the the outdoor cats that were called? I mean, as far as um, what were the circumstances around the calls, or, or you know, what what was ACC's response to the calls? I I do not have that. Um, I mean, when we say a sighting, though, that means you know a, a healthy cat that someone saw outside outside, not sick, injured. Okay. Okay. Um, and then also for clarification, this is something that kind of confused me and there's been a couple of other people that have asked about it. Um, could you, I know we, we talked about CIP and how CIP is basically, there's no longer a CIP, but instead now there's the Good Samaritan uh, call as well as the finder to adopt um, role or process, I guess you'd say. Can you clarify again what each one of those mean? Do you have the recommendations in front of you? Because I actually, yes. you know, I'd be happy to give give them out again. Um, yeah, you know, think, it's it's that was one thing because the only reason why I said is because I've been kind of confused and I think I've used the terms, um, in exchange I've exchanged the terms or switched them around. Now, from what I understand, Good Samaritan is like when someone has an interest in a particular dog at the at the in the shelter, and. You know, what every, every animal has an identification number, they can call with that identification number and find out. You know, what's happening with that animal or where they are in the process. Yes, that's okay. so that's for the good Samaritan. You know, so the person brings in the dog they found stray and, you know, they want to. Just kind of track their progress, how they're doing, et cetera. Okay. The finder to adopt adopt is more of. You know, the. That's more of what replaces CIP. We don't do CIP because. You know, we still go through our process. So if you find an animal um, and you bring it in and you want to adopt, that's finder to adopt. That doesn't mean you automatically get to adopt. That was never the case with CIP either. However, we found that that language was a little bit confusing. You still have to go through the process and make sure that, you know, once the stray holds up, 
we know that there's no owner, you still have to, you know, meet the, the criteria, you have to go through the adoption process. Okay, thank you. Um, and then my only other uh, question, well, first of all, I also appreciate the updates on outreach. It sounds like some really amazing things have been happening. Thanks to you and thanks to, doc, um, to Dr. Van Horn as well uh, to make some of those things happen. Um, then my other question would be just going back to the recommendations because I've been receiving questions about this and there are people that are interested is um, one of the things that was recommended was having meetings between adoption partners and SFACC and basically people in the community, basically a way to rely information. Um, I understand that there are a number of, um, of rescue partners outside of the area um, who, from what I understand, I haven't spoken to any, but I've understood that there's interest from them as well to attend a meeting that might be remotely or to get some sort of in information. Our, basically, where are we in the process of trying to get that? Is that still something that that I that isn't on the horizon right now, but something I could maybe talk to someone about to try and see what we can do. And as I said, I volunteered to help with some of the logistics concerning it. I just think this would be a real benefit for. Yeah, again, I mean, we have over 100 adoption partners. Um, as far as I'm aware, nobody's expressed, you know, the want for, an, you know, a big meeting of all partners at once. Um, so my question was, would be, why are they going to you and not us? Um, we have ongoing communications on a daily basis. I mean, you know, they are in constant communication um, with our team. So uh, I would say if that is a request of theirs, if you can please point them in our direction, because I, we have not received that. Okay, sounds good. And the reason why they're coming to me is because they know I requested it, or, you know, that they know it as a recommendation. And a lot of times it's not them coming directly to me. There's also people that are interested in this and they've reached out to some of the some of the partners that they're aware of. So that's why I usually hear about it. So okay. Anyways, that's my questions. Are there any questions from the any other questions from the commission? But thank you again for the report and thanks again for sure. being here tonight. Yes, Commissioner Reed. I just had a quick question. On this SAGE contract. Now, do they come into the shelter or do, do all the animals have to be taken somewhere? No, the animals go to Sage, much like how we used to have um, the contract with SPCA, um, where we would take them over there, over to Washington, their Washington campus for that emergency hospital. This is great because it's a lot closer for us. Um, but yes, they would go there. What is um, the location? The location is Alabama, right in the mission. It's it's literally like three minutes from, from ACC. Alabama 18th, and Harrison. 18th and Alabama. Yeah. Where the PCA used to be, right? Uh, it's where the old um, SFBS. SF. Where's Veterinary Specialist? It was VCA. First, it was San Francisco Veterinary Specialist, then it was VCA SF, then it was. Um, for a short period, another group before Sage took it over, but yeah, it's it's changed its names and over ownership lots in the last decade. Thank you, thank you. Okay, um, any more questions from the commissioners? Oh. Yes, Commissioner Ozuna or Commissioner Tobin. <laughs> All right, so uh, we definitely see a lot of numbers here, and I have a couple of questions about some of them, more like. Um, I'm not exactly sure what they mean. Are they good? Are they bad? What are the trends that are happening here? There were a lot of owner surrenders, as you mentioned. Um, is this, please don't say this is a post pandemic returns. 
or what are, what are you seeing or what are the most common reasons why people are surrendering their their animals you know um lack of access to care is you know one of the reasons um you know it's it's hard uh, you know they're they're studying it's being studied now what the exact reasons are what i would guess part of it is um post pandemic i mean i know we have people who just can't afford the care for their animals. We have folks who come in and say, oh, you know what? I got this dog, but now I'm going back to work and he's not okay with that. He's tearing up my house now that I have to go into the office. There you go. Um, so there's, there's many reasons. And, um, you know, it's not just a San Francisco issue. Um, it's not just a California issue. It's across the whole country. Um, but, you know, everybody's full. Everybody's full right now. Okay. Um, there was another question I had. I know you're beefing up your um, foster care. You're having a lot of training now mm -hmm. for additional foster care um, folks. I just wondered, um, I know you have a new person running that. I wanted to make sure everything was okay and going well and as planned. And Yeah, uh, they, as far as I know, everything's going great. Um, we, you know, you have to go through the whole process of vetting and then um, doing the classes and um, we've uh, reworked some of the um, some of the classes just to make it easier to digest. But um, as far as I know, it's going smoothly. Okay. Good. That's it. Thank you. Commissioner Rosenberg. I was just curious um, if you knew the results of the rabies uh, HCLs, like all negative or any positive rabies results? In relation to? There's like nine bats and five dogs for rabies testing. Yeah, so uh, bats, I don't know how many were positive. We get positive bats in San Francisco. Um, that said, we haven't had um, uh, a positive uh, land mammal in since I think it was 1941 when it was two dogs, so it's been a long time. Um, we did have a... Uh, I don't want to really say a scare because nobody really believed it, but we did have something that came back. The lab said, oh, this dog tested positive, and everybody's like, what? This dog was vaccinated. How is that possible? Um, and so they went, they took it to the state lab and tested three different times, a couple different ways, and came back negative. So um, I don't know what the numbers is for the bats. Those are the ones that we do see positive um, for rabies in. Um, but as far as San Francisco goes, no, no land mammal since... Uh, 1941, I believe it was. Okay. Any other questions before we open up for public comment? Okay, seeing none, is there anyone in attending who would like to make comment? Okay, please approach the microphone. Thank you. I just have a question. Um, the commissioners, Christopher Campbell from Reckon Park and George Hahn from the Department of Public Health and Officer Greg Sutherland from SFPD. I know back in the 1990s, all these members were present in every meeting. How many meetings can they miss and stay in the commission? I mean, it would seem to me they've missed enough meetings now that they shouldn't be. I mean, we need the health department here when we're talking about live animal markets. And even the police department, you know, if we're saying that we go in with police officers. So what, what's going to happen with these people? I mean, can't they be, you know, I mean, what, aren't they going to be told, you know, either show up or your past tense or what? 
Are you done with your comment? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So usually we don't respond to public comments, but in this case, I will answer. Um, all of our representatives are on an, ad need, on an as needed basis. Now, what that means is that, you know, we, the, we invite them when we do have a particular item in which we feel that their expertise would be beneficial. Um, unfortunately, they're not going to come to every meeting. Um, I understand that it was probably different a while ago, but unfortunately these days it, it's, they, they just don't do it. So we have them as resources. We can contact them at any time, but they don't specifically come to meetings unless we invite them. In this case, the only um, uh, representative who was able to, who was uh, specifically invited was um, Deputy Director Corso. The other ones were not, but um, yes, there are some there are some times in which we have wanted them to be here and they have not been able to be here. Um, but, you know, going forward, we hope to utilize their expertise a little bit more in the future. Uh, but to answer your question, all representatives are on an as needed basis, so they are, are not expected to attend every meeting. Okay, hopefully that clears up things. Okay, thank you. Okay, uh, seeing no more um, in-person comments, um, let's go and open it up for remote comments. If anyone is interested in making a remote comment, please hit star three on your phone right now to be added to the speaker's queue. Okay, I see a couple. I am going to unmute the first caller and you can begin your comment. Okay, you can begin your comment, please. Hi, this is Maria from Give Me Shelter Cat Rescue. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Great. Um, I was, I know you can't answer questions, but I'm just gonna put the question out there. I'm curious how the number of calls are tracked, like, is every call tracked that calls about somebody calling about cats um, that are found outside? Because we actually, Give Me Shelter actually received a call um, from somebody that called Animal Care and Control about a mom with kittens, and they would not come out and help her with the mom with kittens and take them to the shelter. They told her if she was going to surrender the cats to the shelter, she would have to pay a surrender fee per animal. So, um, I don't know, I'd just be curious how that information is tracked and is everybody actually diligent about doing that? Because I think we definitely have seen that the front desk practices are inconsistent um, since they're the ones getting the calls. And then I just wanted to put out there that, you know, maybe there's less cat kittens this season because more of them are being left outside because we are certainly getting calls about cats and kittens that are left outside. So that's all I wanna say, thanks. Thank you, Maria, for your comment. Okay. Moving on to the next caller. You can begin your comment when you're ready. Hi, this is Nadine May. Just a brief comment again about the holes, the fact that the CIP was supposedly replaced by the Good Samaritan hold. Um, I, for one, and I know a lot of people who feel it the same way, do not want to take an animal into animal parent control if we have any doubt that that animal is not going to leave the shelter alive. We cannot have that assurance if we're not able to leave our information so that we get a call to say, as I've gotten four or five calls throughout the years, to say, the animal you brought into the shelter is going to be euthanized unless you come down and pick that animal up, which I did every time. Recently, a friend of mine called me and said she found a friendly orange cat on the street. She would not take it to animal control because she heard 
and this was a quote from Dr. O'Neill in an interview, that there was a lot of euthanasia going on. So this woman would not take this friendly, adoptable, unfixed cat to HCC. She had to take the cat to her own vet and get it fixed. Um, this is not acceptable. I really urge that there be some sort of CIP hold again so that we know that animals we bring in will come out of the shelter alive. Thank you. Okay, thank you for your comment, Nadine. Moving on to the next speaker. You can begin your comment when you're ready. Uh, you have your hand raised. Are you going to make a comment? Yes, I have two questions. I wanted, would like to have clarification if Dr. Sherry O'Neill has now left ACC. And then my other question for Officer Corso, she mentioned the Paul Boost merger. And I wanted to ask about the 24PetConnect.com, if there's a merger there. And how is the 24PetConnect.com utilized by Animal Care and Control? Thank you. Okay, thank you for your comment. Um, I can say that Dr. Neil has left, my understanding. Um, we have no other uh, comments, so we can close public comment. Okay, so thank you. So moving on to items to be put on the agenda for future commission meetings. Uh, our next meeting will be held on Thursday, September 14th. This meeting will be held in room 408 at City Hall along with remote access. Please reach out to me by the Friday before September meeting with any proposed agenda items and any supporting documents. For our next meeting, that will be on Friday, September 8th. The agenda and any supporting documents provided by the commission by that time will be uploaded to our website at sf.gov forward slash animal commission by the Monday evening before the meeting. So for our next meeting, that will be Monday, February, I'm sorry, Monday, September 11th. And although we have a few tentative agenda items and possible presentation in the works, we have nothing to announce just yet for next month, but I know that a couple of commissioners have run a couple of things by me. Please feel free to contact me and we can work on possibly getting that next month. Okay, if there's nothing, do any commissioners have any questions or anything else to add before we um, adjourn? Okay, uh, seeing none, I wanna thank everybody, everybody for being a part of tonight's uh, meeting. It is uh, 728 and we are now adjourned. Good night everybody and we'll see you in September.